Chapter Thirteen of Storm Over Warlock by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Storm Over Warlock, Chapter Thirteen. He who dreams. The mist was not quite a thing. It billowed and curled until it appeared to half conceal darker shadows, any one of which could be an enemy. Shan remained hunkered on the sand, every sense abnormally alert, watching the fog. He was still sure he could hear sounds which marked the progress of another. What other? One of the Warlockians tracking him to spy? Or was there some prisoner like himself, lost out there in the murk? Could it be Thorvald? Now the sound had ceased. He was not even sure from what direction it had first come. Perhaps that other was listening now, as intent upon locating him. Shan ran his tongue over dry lips. The impulse to call out, to try and contact any fellow traveler here, was strong. Only hard-learned caution kept him silent. He got to his hands and knees, uncertain as to his previous direction. Shan crept. Someone expecting a man walking erect might be suitably distracted by the arrival of a half-seen figure on all fours. He halted again to listen. He had been right. The sound of a very muffled footfall, or footfalls, carried to his ears. He was sure that the sound was louder, that the unknown was approaching. Shan stood, his hand closer to his stunner. He was almost tempted to spray that beam blindly before him, hoping to hit the unseen by chance. A shadow. Something more swift than a shadow, more than one of the tricks of the curling fog played on eyes, was moving with purpose and straight for him. Still, prudence restrained Shan from calling out. The figure grew clearer. A Terran! It could be Thorvald! But, remembering how they at last parted, Shan did not hurry to meet him. The shadow-shape stretched out a long arm in a sweep, as if to pull aside some of the vapor concealing them from each other. Then Shan shivered, as if that fog had suddenly turned into the drive of frigid snow. For the mist did roll back, so that the two of them stood in an irregular clearing in its midst. And he did not front Thorvald. Shan was caught up in the ice-grip of an old fear, frozen by it, but somehow clinging to a hope that he did not see the unbelievable. Those hands drawing the lash of a whip back into striking readiness, a brutal nose broken askew, a blaster burn puckering across cheek to misshapen ear, that evil gloating grin of anticipation, Flick, flick, the slight dance of the lash in a master's hand as those thick fingers tightened about the stock of the whip. In a moment it would whirl up to lay a ribbon of fire about Shan's defenseless shoulders. Then Logali would laugh and laugh, his sadistic mirth echoed by those other men who played jackals to his rogue lion. Other men. Shan shook his head dazedly but he did not stand again in the dump-sized bar of the big strike. And he was no longer a terrorized youngster, 
fit meat for Logali's amusement. Only the whip rose, the lash curled out, catching Shan, just as it had that time years ago, delivering a red slash of pure agony. But Logali was dead, Shan's mind screamed, fighting frantically against the evidence of his eyes, of that pain in his chest and shoulder. The dump bully had been spaced by off-world miners, now also dead, whose claims he had tried to jump out in the Ajax system. Logali drew back the lash, preparing to strike again. Shan faced a man five years dead who walked and fought. Or, Shan bit hard upon his lower lip, holding desperately to sane reasoning, did he indeed face anything? Logali was the ancient devil of his boyhood, produced anew by the witchery of Warlock. Or had Shan himself been led to recreate both the man and the circumstances of their first meeting, with fear as a weapon to pull the Creator down? Dream true or false? Logali was dead. Therefore, this dream was false. It had to be. The Terran began to walk toward the grinning ogre rising out of his old nightmares. His hand was no longer on the butt of his stunner, but swung loosely at his side. He saw the coming lash, the wicked promise in those small, narrowed eyes. This was Logali at the acme of his strength, when he was most to be feared, as he had continued to exist over the years in the depths of a boy-child's memory. But Logali was not alive. Only in a dream could he be. For the second time the lash bit at Shan, curling about his body, to dissolve. There was no alteration in Logali's grin, his muscular arm drew back as he aimed a third blow. Shan continued to walk forward, bringing up one hand, not to strike at the sweating, bristly jaw, but as if to push the other out of his path. And in his mind he held one thought. This was not Logali. It could not be. Ten years had passed since they had met, and for five of those years Logali had been dead. Here was Warlockian witchery, to be met by sane Terran reasoning. Shan was alone. The mist, which had formed the walls, enclosed him again. But still there was a smarting brand across his shoulder. Shan drew aside the rags of his uniform blouse to discover a welt, raw and red. And seeing that, his unbelief was shaken. When he had believed in Logali, and in Logali's weapon, the other had reality enough to strike that blow, make the lash cut deep. But when the Terran had faced the phantom with the truth, then neither Logali nor his lash existed. Shan shivered trying to think what might lie before him. Visions out of nightmares which should put on substance. He had dreamed of Logali in the past many times, and he had had other dreams just as frightening. Must he front those nightmares, all of them? Why? To amuse his captors? Or to prove their contention that he was a fool to challenge the powers of such mistresses of illusion? And how did they know just what dreams to use in order to break him? 
or did he himself furnish the actors and the action, projecting old terrors in this mist as a tri-D tape projected a story in three dimensions for the amusement of the viewer? Dream true. Was this progress through the mist also a dream? Dreams within dreams. Shan put his hand to his head, uncertain, badly shaken. But that stubborn core of determination within him was still holding. Next time he would be prepared at once to face down any resurrected memory. Walking slowly, pausing to listen for the slightest sound which might herald the coming of a new illusion, Shan tried to guess which of his nightmares might come to face him. But he was to learn that there was more than one kind of dream. Steel against old fears, he was met by another emotion altogether. There was a fluttering in the air, a little crooning cry which pulled at his heart. Without any conscious thought, Shan held out his hands, whistling on two notes, a call which his lips appeared to remember more quickly than his mind. The shape which winged through the fog came straight to his waiting hold, tore at long, walled-away hurt with its once familiar beauty. It flew with a list. One of the delicately tinted wings was injured, had never healed straight. But the seraph nestled into the hollow of Shan's two palms and looked up at him with all the old liquid trust. "'Trav! Trav!' He cradled the tiny creature carefully, regarded with joy its feathered body the curled plumes on its proudly held head, felt the silken padding of those infinitesimal claws against his protecting fingers. Shan sat down in the sand, hardly daring to breathe. Trav, again! The wonder of this never-to-be-hoped-for return filled him with a surge of happiness almost too great to bear, which hurt in its way with as great a pain as Logali's lash. It was a pain rooted in love, not fear and hate. Logali's Lash Shan trembled. Trav raised one of those small claws toward the Terran's face, crooning a soft, caressing cry for recognition, for protection, trying to be a part of Shan's life once more. Trav! How could he bear to will Trav into nothingness? to bear to summon up another harsh memory which would sweep Trav away. Trav was the only thing Shan had ever known which he could love wholeheartedly, that had answered his love with a return gift of affection so much greater than the light body he now held. "'Trav!' he whispered softly. Then he made his great effort against this second and far more subtle attack. With the same agony which he had known years earlier, he resolutely summoned a bitter memory, sat nursing once more a broken thing which died in pain he could not ease, aware himself of every moment of that pain. And what was worse, this time there clung that nagging little doubt. What if he had not forced the memory? Perhaps he could have taken Trav with him unhurt, alive at least for a while." Shan covered his face with his now empty hands. To see a nightmare flicker out after facing squarely up to its terror, 
that was no great task. To give up a dream, which was part of a lost heaven, that cut cruelly deep. The Terran dragged himself to his feet, drained and weary, stumbling on. Was there no end to this aimless circling through a world of green smoke? He shambled ahead, moving his feet leadenly. How long had he been here? There was no division in time, just the unchanging light which was a part of the fog through which he plodded. Then he heard more than any shuffle of foot across sand, any crooning of a long-dead seraph, the rising and falling of a voice, a human voice, not quite singing or reciting, but something between the two. Shan paused, searching his memory, a memory which seemed bruised, for the proper answer to match that sound. But though he recalled scene after scene out of the years, that voice did not trigger any return from his past. He turned toward its source, dully determined to get over quickly the meeting which lay behind that signal. Only, though he walked on and on, Shan did not appear any closer to the man behind the voice, nor was he able to make out separate words composing that chant, a chant broken now and then by pauses, so that the Terran grew aware of the distress of his fellow-prisoner. For the impression that he sought another captive came out of nowhere, and grew as he cast wider and wider in his quest. Then he might have turned some invisible corner in the mist, for the chant broke out anew in stronger volume, and now he was able to distinguish words he knew. Where blow the winds between the worlds, and hang the suns in dark of space, for power is given a man to use, let him do so well before the last accounting. The voice was hoarse, cracked, the words spaced with uneven catches of breath, as if they had been repeated many, many times to provide an anchor against madness, form a tie to reality. And hearing that note, Shan slowed his pace. This was out of no memory of his. He was sure of that. Blow the winds between the worlds, and hang the suns in dark of, of— that harsh croak of voice was running down, as a clock runs down for lack of winding. Shan sped on, reacting to a plea which did not lay in the words themselves. Once more the mist curled back, provided him with an open space. A man sat on the sand, his fists buried wrist-deep in the smooth grains on either side of his body, his eyes set, red-rimmed, glazed, his body rocking back and forth in time to his labored chant. The dark of space! Thorvald! Shan skidded in the sand, went down on his knees. The manner of their last parting was forgotten as he took in the officer's condition. The other did not stop his swaying, but his head turned with a stiff jerk, the gray eyes making a visible effort to focus on Shan. Then some of the strain smoothed out of the gaunt features, and Thorvald laughed softly. Garth! Shan stiffened, but had no chance to protest that mistaken identification as the other continued. So, you made class one status, boy. 
I always knew you could, if you'd work for it. A couple of black marks on your record, sure, but those can be rubbed out, boy, when you're willing to try. Thorvald's always have been survey. Our father would have been proud." Thorvald's voice flattened, his smile faded, there was a growing spark of some emotion in those gray eyes. Unexpectedly, he hurled himself forward, his hands clawing for Shan's throat. He bore the younger man down under him to the sand, where Lantee found himself fighting desperately for his life, against a man who could only be mad. Shan used a trick learned on the dumps, and his opponent doubled up with a gasp of agony to let the younger man break free. He planted a knee on the small of Thorvald's back, digging the officer into the sand, pinning down his arms in spite of the other's struggles. Regaining his own breath in gulps, Shan tried to appeal to some spark of reason in the other. "'Thorvald! This is Lantee! Lantee!' His name echoed in the mist-walled void like an unhuman wail. "'Lantee? No! Throg! Lantee! Throg! Killed my brother!' Sand puffed out with the breath, which expelled that indictment. But Thorvald no longer fought, and Shan believed him close to collapse. Shan relaxed his hold, rolling the other man over. Thorvald obeyed his pull limply, lying face upward, sand in his hair and eyebrows, crusting his slack lips. The younger man brushed the dirt away gently as the other opened his eyes to regard Shan with his old, impersonal stare. "'You're alive,' Thorvald stated bleakly. "'Garth's dead. You ought to be dead, too.' Shan drew back, rubbed sand from his hands, his concern dampened by the other's patent hostility. Only that angry accusation vanished in a blink of those gray eyes. Then there was a warmer recognition in Thorvald's expression. "'Lantee!' The younger man might just have come into sight. "'What are you doing here?' Shan tightened his belt. "'Just about what you are.' He was still aloof, giving no acknowledgment of difference in rank now. "'Running around in this fog, hunting the way out.' Thorvald sat up, surveying the billowing walls of the hole which contained them. Then he reached out a hand to draw fingers down on Shan's forearm. "'You are real,' he observed simply, and his voice was warm, welcoming. "'Don't bet on it,' Shan snapped. "'The unreal can be mighty real here.' His hand went up to the smarting brand on his shoulder. Thorvald nodded. "'Masters of illusion,' he murmured. "'Mistresses,' Shan corrected. "'This place is run by a gang of pretty smart witches.' "'Witches? You've seen them? Where? And what—who are they?' Thorvald pounced with a return of his old-time sharpness. "'They're females right enough, and they can make the impossible happen. I'd say that classifies them as witches. One of them tried to take me over back on the island. I set a trap and caught her. Then somehow she transported me.' Swiftly he outlined the chain of events leading from his sudden awakening in the river tunnel to his present penetration of this fog world. Thorvald listened eagerly. When the story was finished, 
he rubbed his hands across his drawn face, smearing away the last of the sand. At least you have some idea of who they are and a suggestion of how you got here. I don't remember that much about my own arrival. As far as I can remember, I went to sleep on the island and woke up here." Shan studied him and knew that Thorvald was telling the truth. He could remember nothing of his departure in the outrigger, the way he had fought Shan in the lagoon. The survey officer must have been under the control of the Warlockians then. Quickly he gave the older man his version of the other's actions in the outer world, and Thorvald was clearly astounded, though he did not question the facts Shan presented. "'They just took me,' Thorvald said in a husky half-whisper. "'But why? And why are we here? Is this a prison?' Shan shook his head. "'I think all this—' A wave of his hand encompassed the green wall, what lay beyond it and in it. "'Is a test of some kind. This dream business. A little while ago I got to thinking that I wasn't here at all, that I might be dreaming at all. Then I met you.' Thorvald understood. "'Yes, but this could be a dream meeting. How could we tell?' He hesitated, almost diffidently, before he asked, "'Have you met anyone else here?' "'Yes,' Shan had no desire to go into that. "'People out of your past life?' "'Yes.' Again he did not elaborate. "'So did I.' Thorvald's expression was bleak. His encounters in the fog must have proved no more pleasant than Shan's. That suggests that we do trigger the hallucinations ourselves. But maybe we can really lick it now." How? Well, if these phantoms are born of our memories, there are about only two or three we could see together. Maybe a throg on the rampage, or that hound we left back in the mountains. And if we do sight anything like that, we'll know what it is. On the other hand, if we stick together and one of us sees something that the other can't, well, that fact alone will explode the ghost." There was sense in what he said. Shan aided the officer to his feet. "'I must be a better subject for their experiments than you,' the older man remarked ruefully. "'They took me over completely at the first. "'You were carrying that disc.' Shan pointed out. Maybe that acted as a focusing lens for whatever power they used to make us play trained animals. Could be. Thorvald brought out the cloth-wrapped bone coin. I still have it. But he made no move to pull off the bit of rag about it. Now, he gazed at the wall of green, which way? Shan shrugged. Long ago he had lost any idea of keeping a straight course through the murk. He might have turned around any number of times since he first walked blindly into this place. Then he pointed to the packet Thorvald held. "'Why not flip that?' he asked. "'Heads, we go that way,' he indicated the direction in which they were facing. "'Tails, we do a right-about face.' There was an answering grin on Thorvald's lips. As good a guide as any we're likely to find here. We'll do it. 
He pulled away the twist of cloth, and with a swift snap, reminiscent of that used by the Warlockian witch to empty the bowl of sticks, he tossed the disk into the air. It spun, whirled, but, to their open-jawed amazement, it did not fall to the sand. Instead, it spun until it looked like a small globe instead of a disk. And it lost its dead white for a glow of green. When that glow became dazzling for Terran eyes, the miniature sun swung out, not in orbit, but in straight line of flight, heading to their right. With a muffled cry, Thorvald started in pursuit, Shan running beside him. They were in a tunnel of the fog now, and the pace set by the spinning coin was swift. The Terrans continued to follow it at the best pace they could summon, having no idea of where they were headed, but each with the hope that they finally did have a guide to lead them through this place of confusion and into a sane world where they could face, on more equal terms, those who had sent them there. End of chapter 13